You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. I'm going to read the resurrection story, and I'm very happy to do so because we're celebrating the resurrection this morning. So it's Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And you can turn there and read it on your own. And uh, as we go along, I'm going to read from the NIV. And it's Mark 16, verse 1. 16, 1. And it says something like this. It says, so Jesus has already died on the cross. He's been taken down. He's been laid in the tomb. And and this is uh, the third day. So when the Sabbath was over, it says that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They were going there to, to make preparations for his, his, his complete burial because he was just placed in the tomb um, because they didn't want to do work on the Sabbath. So they went there to, to make all the preparations. Verse 2 says, Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll away uh, the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, uh, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen! Exclamation point. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And that is the resurrection story as presented in the gospel of Mark. Let's pray this morning. God, we do worship you. God, we thank you so much for for especially this Sunday where we remember that you rose from the dead. God, that you came down as a human being, that your own people sentenced you to death for claiming to be God. You were sentenced to death. You died on a cross. You were put in the grave, and yet the grave did not hold you. You did not not stay there. You rose from the grave. And, And God, we remember that this morning. We thank you for that this morning. Would you come to us, open our hearts and minds as we study salvation and how that works, why salvation is needed. God, we love you. We praise you on this morning. We give you all the glory, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. Well, it's kind of cool that uh, we we call this Resurrection Sunday. We call it Easter Sunday. And and what a better way to celebrate our our risen Lord than, than with some Easter bunnies and them hiding eggs all over your house and that little plastic grass stuff. Nothing says the resurrection like an Easter bunny, right? Where did, we, where did we get that stuff? <laughs> the Easter, some of you may already know this, some of you may not know this, but the word Easter, uh, is, Easter in English comes from an old English word, uh, which, which has lots of lots of ancient tradition. In fact, my friend Joel in here uh, said that the, the Easter god, this goddess was a, a, a Persian god of the Tigris, or the Euphrates, I forget what he said. But it's, like, it's more ancient than I could have even thought. 
And, and, and so East Ray is a god of fertility and of the sunrise whose feast is celebrated on the spring equinox. Ultimately, her name is related to the east and, and worshiping the sun and worshiping the longer days that are coming in the spring and the harvest and the fertility, etc., etc., etc. And Anglo-Saxon Christians adopted her name and many of the celebration practices for the mass of Christ's resurrection. And, and so therefore we have this, um, since she was the god of fertility, we have uh, the Easter bunny. Have you heard uh, the phrase mating like rabbits? That's, that's why. <laughs> that's why that, that. And so it's like this idea that we're, what, we're, we're worshiping our resurrected God, Jesus Christ, and we have all these things that in some ways kind of distract or even confuse us. And they have their own traditions. They have, and maybe in the, in the past, uh, people wanted to merge things together and say, yeah, we worship Jesus, but we also have this huge festival in the springtime. And so let's continue with this festival and, and, and still worship Jesus. And so there was some melding, uh, melting of things together. Potentially, I mean, some, some Christian leaders could have had the good intention. They said, you know, let's, let, let's continue worshiping uh, our risen Savior and this festival and kind of merge them because it's easier for people. They're already kind of doing it. I don't know what exactly people were thinking, but as tradition and, and more tradition and then and then Walmart comes in and sells Easter eggs and Cadbury eggs and those delicious marshmallow peeps, we just get new traditions and build on traditions. And I think in some ways we can confuse the outside world what Easter is really all about. Don't you think? Like to an outsider, a non-Christian, they're like, yeah, so the Easter bunny hides, he steals them from the chickens, and then he colors them, and then he hides, no, you color them, then, then he gives them to the chickens, and then the chickens, he gets them, and then he has a basket, and he hides them behind the dryer, and then, and then you find them. And he's like, yeah, that, that's the story of Jesus. And you're like, What? No, it's not. I thought of like, okay, what's like, I mean, that's pretty random. I was, I was thinking this morning, like, what if, there, what if there was a holiday? Does anybody like to fish in here? Any fisher men or women anglers? Wow, lots of them. Uh, what if there was like a, a celebration? What if like the season of fishing started on like a, a certain day? And so we celebrate as fishermen and fisherwomen, as anglers, we celebrated this, this day that's like the first day of fishing. And, we, and, and instead of calling it the first day of fishing, we called it Zeus. And we're like, yeah, let's celebrate Zeus. And instead of going fishing on this day, we made bean burritos and we threw them at each other with lacrosse sticks. And that's how we celebrated Zeus. And we're like, what in the world? Like, it's just the weirdest, like, it's a day of like, we're going to go fishing, right? But why are we making bean burritos? It's like, this the randomest things to celebrate something that's that has nothing to do with what we're celebrating. And, and so I'm going to talk today about salvation. And I, I mentioned this whole Easter bunny, the marshmallow peeps and the Cadbury eggs to talk about Jesus because I, I think in our culture, that's how that people, there's just this mix and this swirl of ideas of what salvation is really about. And I think lots of individuals and I think lots of people that even come to church, call themselves Christians, are confused about either what salvation means to them or how to explain salvation to someone else. And so if you come all this Sunday, I can, I can almost guarantee that for sure you will have a clear, better understanding of salvation for yourself and be able to explain it better. Let me give you some data. This data is, it comes from the Barna Research Group, a kind of a Christian 
um, group that does a lot of uh, surveys for Americans. And th- this statistic su- surprised me that 80% of Americans, Americans, say that they're Christians. And I was like, 80%? What in the world? And, and they, they put out this study that said, yeah, 80% of Americans call themselves Christians. And, and in my head, I had to think about that a whole bunch because I was like, really? And, and then, and then I, I got to thinking, like, a lot of people just call themselves Christians. A lot of people, like, if there's several boxes to check, like, what are you? Are you a Buddhist? Are you a Muslim? Are you an atheist or a Christian? And maybe there's some other major religions. Uh, maybe, maybe 80%. I, got, I mean, the study says that 80% of Americans checked the box. I'm a Christian. And then, and then so that's, does that surprise anyone else? It kind of does. But, but here's, here's, the, here's what makes more sense. 37% not of Americans, of this number. So 30%, 37% of this number are born again. And they refer to themselves as born again. So are you a Christian? Yes, check the box. 80% of Americans check the box. I'm, I'm a Christian, 80%. But in out of that 80%, only 37% said, I'm actually born again, which is a phrase. It's not a political phrase. It's not a a weird phrase that some Easter bunny made up. Jesus himself actually uses that phrase. On the back of your skillet is, is the Bible verse, John 3, 3. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so that's a, that's a Bible word. It's a word Jesus used. It's a phrase Jesus used. And so you would think that all of Christendom, if you call yourself a Christian, you at least have to be familiar with that term, and you'd say, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. Is there any other type of Christian? But for whatever it's worth, 80% of Americans, they say they are a Christian. Out of that 80%, 37 say, yes, I am born again. And then here is the surpriser, in my opinion. Here's the one that's like, what in the world are people thinking? So out of that 37% of the 80% that said they're born again, 55% of, of these people not of all Americans, obviously, we're, we're uh, 50% of the 37% of the 80% said that they are saved by JC, Jesus Christ. Everybody say, what in the world? Aren't you thinking that? All Americans, 80% of them, I'm a Christian. Then 37% of those Americans say, I'm born again. And then only about half. So if you call yourself a born again Christian, only a little, a little over half say, oh, I'm saved by Jesus Christ. Other pe- uh, so, all this, so the 45% would say something like, uh, they would have checked a box like, um, I'm unsure why people are, get saved. Uh, I'm saved because I obey the Ten Commandments. I'm saved because all people are saved. Or I'm saved because I live a good life. And so that's not, has anyone, like anyone that calls themselves a born-again Christian, only 55% of them have an actual understanding of the most basic, most foundational, I should say, principles of Scripture that salvation is by your faith in Jesus Christ. So there's all these people, 45% of born-again believers, they call themselves, I'm a born-again believer, say that they're saved for some other reason outside of Jesus Christ saved me, my faith in him. Does that surprise anyone else? 
And so that's why we're taking this whole month of the Mill Sunday School in April, today being the first uh, Sunday in April, also Resurrection Sunday. Uh, and we are going to talk all this month about what it means to be saved. Sound fun? Yes, hopefully so. Hopefully it's more than fun. Hopefully it's awesome. So, some announcements. If anybody's new today, we welcome you. Thanks for coming on, on Easter morning to Mill Sunday School. If you would fill out one of these cool little cards for us, give it to me or the nice people in the back as you leave, we would appreciate it. And we'll give you a, a CD, like a welcome CD. That's kind of cool. And uh, let's see, what else? Oh, Easter service times. This is a very weird Easter, it's a very weird Sunday school, I should say, because uh, Sunday school has stayed at the same time, right? So look around. Lots of people aren't in here, like usual, because they may be going to the 8.30 service, and so they may come in late, or they may be going to the 10 o'clock service. Um, So there's an 8 o'clock, a 10 o'clock, or a a noon o'clock service. So if you went to the 8 o'clock, like the big church, if you went to the 8 o'clock service, then, then you've already gone to the big church. But if you want to go to big church today, then uh, there is a service that, that after Sunday school you'd kind of show up and you'd kind of be late to, but not too late to. So if you wanted to like rush out of Sunday school and go, go to the service, you could still kind of catch, catch it, it'd still be in worship. Or you could wait all the way to the noon o'clock service and stay here and chill and hang out with me. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Amen to that. So that, that's the kind. That's the, and, and in the past, in the years, like Easter Sunday is just a weird Sunday school Sunday because, uh, because of the service times. And so, um, but we kept it the same because in other years we've changed the time and then everyone shows up really late or really early and they're really confused and, and, and it just causes mass confusion. And I don't want to cause mass confusion. Do you want to be massly confused? No, and so we kept it the same. So thank you for being here. We are going to talk about salvation. So in your notes, let's look. And it says, what is salvation? And then there's going to be a definition. And, and, and I am actually going to ask you to present a definition uh, in a little while. But first, I just want to give you um, kind of the, the etymology of this word salvation. It comes from the Greek soterion. And, and, and just like our secular, like we could say, we could talk about being saved and not talk about anything spiritual. We could talk about like, oh, put it in the fridge, let's save it for later, right? And so it's talking about preserving it or curing it, keeping it. Uh, we could also talk about um, saving someone as in delivering them, releasing them from, from plight. Like, oh, look, he's in the pool, he's in the deep end, he doesn't know how to swim, save him, Right? So, so we could use the word in that, and it has no uh, spiritual significance, at least in that use. Um, but, but mostly, just like our, in, the, in the church world, the Greek had a leaning towards the religious um, significance, and it had this idea of snatching by force from serious apparel. Um, and so this idea that um, salvation is, is saving from harm, saving from a plight, Saving from a, a wretched condition, saving from a harm, is, is this idea. And, and I want to ask you the question, what does the word to be saved, what does the word salvation mean in Christendom, in the church? What does salvation mean to you? Let's say you're at Walmart, 
and you're just hanging out. Or if you don't go to Walmart, then say you're at Whole Foods and you're hanging out. And maybe you're in the, uh, the, there's a book section of one of those stores. And let's just say, for instance, that there's a, a, a Christian book there and in the title is the word salvation and the person picks it up and and looks around like salvation what's that and and you're standing there and as a christian you could provide some sort of answer you're like oh well i go to church let let me tell you what that word means and so you if you're defining salvation for a total non-believer you can't you uh, you could but i think you'd look silly but you shouldn't i guess is a better way to put it use christianese words like, if you were just to like to bust out the blood of the lamb, lady, you know what I'm talking about? She'd be like, what? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, other words, other fun words, like uh, uh, testimony. That's kind of a Christian word. Oh, I had a list of these fun words. Oh, I can't find them. Oh, atonement and maybe one justify, reconcile, even the word grace. Like, unless a girl is named grace... People in the, in, the, in the secular world, they don't use the word grace. Or maybe they like say grace, but then they don't use it in conversation to explain things. That's our word. That's a Christianese word. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about salvation. I want you to think about, okay, what is it really? And I want you to come up with a definition. And, and, and I think a good definition is often the smallest definition. If you have like a long five-paragraph definition of what salvation means, that's not a good salvation definition that you would use at walmart or whole foods to tell someone what salvation means but so i think we just need like a one sentence definition could you think um if you're if you're um at a table you can chit chat and compare definitions but i want you to come up with your very own definition and you can write it right here on your notes write out what you think the, a, a good definition for Christian salvation should be. And repeat, you're not allowed to use Christianese. No Christianese whatsoever. Ready? Get set. Define salvation. All right, who, which table or which person has the best definition in here? Obvious. Uh, uh, Yo-Yo thinks he does. Uh, we all do. Okay. Uh, I think, okay, we have, do have mics, so if you don't want to scream, you don't have to. Yeah, hand, hand it off t- to our homeboy. Read your definition, and, th- and then we'll, we'll have some fun with it. Okay. Um, what did we say? <laughs> what did we say? Oh, I got it. Being saved from death of your soul by the work of Jesus Christ. Being saved from the death of your soul by Jesus Christ. I like, but, by the work of Jesus Christ. Outstanding. Adam, you had one? <laughs> well. He just took a big bite of food. It's awesome. Mine was a car wash from the inside out. A car wash that's it. from the inside out. That's, that's a good nice. analogy. I like it. And that's nice. something you would actually say to uh, someone, someone who does not know anything about the Bible would understand that. Yes. Okay. So this is uh, Yo-Yo's interpretation. So <laughs> say you uh, get captured from the Joker. and Captured from a jailbird? Mind con- captured by the Joker. And he sprays you with this poisonous mind control gas. For a split second, you have clear consciousness. And Batman comes in, swoops in to save you. You have that clear decision, or cl- split second to choose. <laughs> take Batman's hand and be saved and rescued. Or go to the Joker and be under his mind control and evilness right there i like it i think 
I think. I think I, I, think I understand. <laughs> You're next. Yes. Okay, mine's not funny or anything. Well, thank um, you for taking this seriously, people. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Okay, um, I said, or we said, the notion that one soul is rescued from some guy named Jesus and him dying on the cross. Good. So, would you mind saying it one more time? Oh, yeah. Um, the notion that one soul can be rescued from some guy named Jesus and him dying on the cross. Notion that you can, your soul could be rescued from Jesus, the guy named Jesus, and his work on the cross. It's good. I like it. Yes, last one, I think. Do it. Um, God's love as a gift to save us from hell. God's, wait, say it again. God's love as God's a gift. God's love as a gift to save us from hell. To save us from hell. I like that. Here's what, I didn't, get, I didn't write down a definition because these are all good definitions. <laughs> I'm looking at this group right here, specifically. Anyways, here's what I put. I put three points. So if you have extra room to write some, some more notes, I, I think these three points, and I, I heard them in lots of your different definitions, um, three points, that, that however you define salvation, these three points should be in there. Number one, some sort of point that, that we're making right with God. We are being made right. We have been made right with God. Salvation is about becoming right, like get right with God. Like if you've had an argument with someone and you maybe had a, maybe you had a physical fight, but you're related, you need to go to them and, and make yourself right with them. Apologize or just make, make amends, make yourself right. So number one, uh, as, as probably something that should be included in your definition is you need to be made right with God, that idea there. Number two is it's his work. That's, that Christian salvation is all about the work he did. And, and some of you mentioned on the cross. Some of you mentioned um, Jesus' suffering. So it's, it's his work, not our work. But number three is our response. So number one is we're being, salvation is about becoming right with God. It's, it's his work. He did it for us. But number three is it's our response. That, that, and Christian salvation just doesn't say, oh yeah, Jesus died, and he did die for the sins of the world. But that doesn't mean that everyone is universally saved, that, that we do need to respond to him to, to receive that salvation. Which brings us right to our next point in, in, in the notes, which is, is salvation needed? Is salvation needed? And I think in the secular world, the, 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 the regular person at Walmart or Whole Foods hanging out, they, they don't come to church. They may have some beliefs. Maybe, who knows, maybe they were one of the 80% of Americans that check the box. Yeah, I'm a Christian. The, I don't know that our society has this, this idea of, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're all sinners. We, we need saving. If, you, if you're talking to someone who's not a believer and like, you need sa- salvation, you need Jesus, you're a sinner, they might be like, Eh, I'm not that bad. Eh, I don't really need salvation. In fact, our society, we have the right to remain silent. The, we have the right to plead the fifth, to take the fifth amendment of the Bill of Rights and says we don't need to testify against ourselves. And, and so those are good laws. Those are good rules. But it almost gives this sense that, you know, if you, if you don't own up to what you did, if you committed a crime and you don't own up to it, but you happen to hire a really good lawyer and you happen to have some luck in the courtroom, then no punishment. 
And so the best thing for you to do is to not admit guilt. I remember my driver's ed. Anybody take driver's ed? Like for me, it was like an actual class in high school. Does anybody else have an actual? Okay, me too. And so in my actual driver's ed class, um, I remember one of the things the teacher said. The teacher said this in his own opinion, but he said, if you're ever involved in an accident, don't admit guilt. Even if it was your fault, don't get out of your car and say you're sorry. And I was like, what in the world? And in his mind, he was like, because as soon as you admit guilt, like the insurance company, they're going to take that into consideration. And then, and then you're going to be guilty because you said you're sorry. And so don't say you're sorry after a car accident, if, even if it's your fault. And I was like, man, that's kind of mean. Like you just hit somebody and then that maybe they got hurt and you don't even say you're sorry. Like that's, and that, that's the kind of a, a secular worldly idea that you don't say you're sorry. You don't admit guilt because if things play out right and you get a good representative, a good lawyer, then you don't even have to be punished for your mistake, even if you actually did commit the crime. And so that's our society. I think our society also says things like, and I think every society just has this idea that there's, that the, out there there's, you know, really, really bad people like, you know, the murderers, the, the rapists, the pedophiles, etc. people that have committed really bad sins. And, and if you haven't committed one of those, you're like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not um, that bad of a person, they're, they're in need of salvation. I'm doing just fine. And I think that's what maybe, as I was thinking about this, maybe one of the reasons why there's, there's such really good fruit for salvations in prison ministries, like a ministry that evangelizes to people in prison. Because if you're literally talking to someone who's committed murder and they own up to committing murder, then it's not like they can say, well, at least I didn't commit murder. No, they, they did. And so... And so it's almost like that first step of salvation is admitting you need to be saved. And as someone who has committed murder, um, they, they, they're, yeah, I'm one of the worst. Society deems me as one of the worst people. I am definitely in need of salvation. I think Jesus hit on this when he was talking to the Jewish religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, doing all these good works to be saved. And, 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 and he kind of says this, this idea that, you know, there are sinners, there are prostitutes, there are really bad people entering into the kingdom of heaven before you all religious leaders are because they're more quick to say, I can't do it on my own. They're more quick to say, I need a savior. I need salvation. And I think telling someone, and this is where it kind of gets tricky because if you're just, for instance, if you're sharing your faith of Jesus Christ and maybe you're doing it really well, maybe you're engaging in discussion instead of debate, maybe instead of beating your Bible or beating them with your Bible, you're having them over to lunch and coffee. Instead of screaming at them about how they need to believe in Jesus, you're, you're, sharing your faith. You're engaged in dialogue. You're having conversations. But at some point in in all that conversing, um, there, there is this idea that the gospel is offensive. At some point, they're, they need to come, every person needs to come to this idea that they're not perfect, that they are in need of a savior. And so whether it be, you know, it's, 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 it's very offensive to say, you, you need a savior because you know, you've made some mistakes. He's like, you don't know me. How do you know? You don't know me. Why would you tell me I've made mistakes? And he's like, well, everyone's made mistakes. Well, who cares? And, and there's this idea that, you know, if, if you're sharing your faith with someone, I guess, and talking about salvation, there's this idea that, you know, they don't have to believe in your God. And so if, a, if the Christian God 
thinks I need saving and thinks I'm a bad person, well then, you know, in the Christian world, you get, in the non-Christian world, this idea of, well then, I don't need him. Who's he? You know, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in a mean God like that that tells me I need something, that I'm doing just fine. And, and so I think that this idea of, of, of salvation has to begin with repentance. Peter, on, on the day of Pentecost, was explaining salvation to a bunch of people. And it says that 3,000 people this day became saved. And Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be saved. But repent was the first part. And then then baptism is this idea that you're dead to your old nature. You rise again. You're different after baptism. But the first is repent. That's the first step of salvation. You need to know what you're repenting for, the mistakes you've made. And I think um, the thorn, anybody go to the thorn or in the thorn? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I went a bunch of times and got to pray for people at the end. And on Thursday, Glenn Packey, one of our pastors, he, at the, at the end of the thorn, this presentation of the, the, the Christian message and how Jesus died and then rose again for the forgiveness and sins of the world. Glenn is leading everyone in prayer. And he said, you know, if if you want to receive Jesus here tonight, um, why don't you come down to the altar? He did an altar call by every definition. And it was awesome. I was there on Thursday to see like 40 people come down to the altar. And it was awesome. And I got to pray with this guy named Scott. And then afterwards, he filled out this comment card like, yes, I just committed my life to Christ. And, and, and yes, I made a decision for him. And it was just so cool to see that. And I, I just thought of my own salvation experience when I was in high school and coming to this realization that, I've been trying to to be saved. I've been justifying myself, just saying I'm not that bad for a very long time. And and this step of repenting, the step of, you know what, I'm not, I am in need of salvation. I've made mistakes. My life is on a a direction leading further away from God. And and, and I I know that I need saving. And, And coming to that understanding, I think is, that's the first step of salvation. That's what it's all about. It's knowing that you need salvation, knowing that this world has evil in it, has darkness and disasters and sin. And and in our own hearts, if we truly examine our hearts, we know that we are in our hearts and minds is selfishness and pride and lust and that we need saving. And so once we come to this idea of of needing saving, then then I think... um, we move on to this next point, this last point of today, God's nature. And so in your, in your notes, it says God's nature. And so if, if salvation is being saved from your, your state, and you know that your state of being is in need of God, then, well, then why can't God just say, yeah, you're, you're saved and snap his finger or whatever else in your mind. You're like, well, can't, can't all people go to heaven? Why do you need to accept Jesus? Why do you need to, um, you know, doesn't God just love everybody? And, and why doesn't, why isn't he just nice? If he's a nice God, then there's no punishment. Nice people don't punish each other. What's, what's the deal? You know, if, our, if the God of the Bible is nice and uh, loving, then what's the deal? Why do we need to be saved and do something or respond to Christ? What's that all about? I just don't get that, you you might say, or or a non-believer might say, or one of the 80% of Americans who call themselves Christians might say, like, yeah, what's the whole deal about, you know, I kind of read some stories in the Bible and God seems pretty nice. Why do I need, why do my sins need atoning for? Why do I, you know, why, what's the deal? 
So the deal is God is both loving and just. If you're taking notes, that, that's the main point right now, that God is both loving and just. He's a just God and he is a loving God. And sometimes we can think that justice is a bad thing. And I think if you commit a crime and, and then and then you're, you're getting the justice, then it does seem like a bad thing. You're getting the punishment. But what if something bad happens to you? Then justice is a good thing. Justice even on its own, whether you're the one or someone else is the one receiving the justice, justice is a good thing. For instance, when I was a kid, does anybody remember uh, having Happy Meals as a kid from McDonald's? Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, I love those things. They're, they're so good. And when I was a kid, like eating out was a big deal. Anybody else? Was that a big deal for anyone else? Like going to McDonald's is like a Saturday event. Like what are we doing tomorrow? We're going to McDonald's! <laughs> and it was like the biggest. And now it seems like nowadays kids eat out every day. I don't know what the deal is. But anyways, for me, it was a very big deal. And especially getting a, a Happy Meal because it had this little box. Do they still do the boxes with the little handles? The little M handles sometimes? Not all the time? Not, no, they don't do it. What do they do? Like a bag, like a plastic bag. Like, here you go, kid. Anyways, whether they do the box things or not, still, I don't know. But I know that when I was a kid, they did the box. And so you were given this box and inside of it had delicious burgers and delicious fries. And, and, and at the bottom was a, a toy, a prize. And it was like this whole, it was like so awesome to open it up and then get it. And you're, sometimes you're like, ah, oh, Barbie stickers. Gosh, I hate my life. But every once in a while, you got something that was actually really cool. And I remember as a kid getting the most awesome Spider-Man watch. It was red. It had Spider-Man on it. And it was, if, it had this button. And if you push the button, it showed the date. It was awesome, and it was so cool, and it was my first watch. And as a kid, I'm like, man, check out this watch. And so uh, I got it on Saturday. I I wasn't allowed to wear it uh, to church on Sunday for some reason. My parents were like, no, no, Spider-Man watches. But then on on Monday, the the first day back to school, um, I got to wear my Spider-Man watch. And I don't remember exactly what I wore, but I remember, like, like, making sure my outfit match the watch just to draw like i think i wore a red shirt just to draw attention to the beautiful red spider-man watch and i was like showing it off and, and going to school and people were like dude nice watch i wish i had a watch and like yeah no it's pretty sweet well some people go to mcdonald's they get barbie stickers some people they get spider-man watches and it was just so cool to see the time and know what time it was and as a kid it was a really big deal and i loved that watch and i had it all morning and then i took it off for for lunch because i didn't want to scratch it on the plate playground or or whatever i can't remember as a kid it's just like this i thought it was a rolex as a kid i'm just like i want to be careful make sure i don't scratch it and so i took it off and then i put it you remember those little cubbies did you have a cubby as a as like a desk with like two layers you had a little like so i put it in my little cubby and then uh went to lunch played on the playground came back uh reached in was looking for my watch like where in the world where's the watch I can't find the watch. And I'm like pulling out stuff, to like the little box, the little tiny uh, scissors with the plastic tips and the everything, like the glue and the school glue. And I can't, I, my pencils, I, wear, I pulled everything out. I can't find my watch. It's not in there. I'm like, what in the world? Where, could I have, did I actually, what, what? And then I look over and this kid next to me is wearing a bright red, brand new Spider-Man watch. Dude! 
that's my watch. And then, like, in my, I'm just like, that's my watch. Teacher, teacher, teacher. And she comes back, and I'm like, he's got my watch. And it's just like all this, I mean, as a kid, it's like, I was first grade. It's like a really big deal. He stole my watch. And so the teacher's like, give me the watch. So the teacher took the watch. It's like, whose watch is it? And I'm like, mine. And the little kid next to me is like, no, it's mine. I got it. Somebody on the playground gave it to me. And the teacher's like, who gave it to you? And he's like, I can't remember. They just gave it to me. And so he's lying about where, obviously, he stole it from my cubby. And, and so the teacher is like, well, whose is it? And we're both like, mine, freaking out. So the teacher says, uh, well, well, what's written on back? Thinking that, oh, the owner of the watch would know what's written on back. And I was like, I, I don't remember. I, I had Spider-Man, and it, you pushed the button, and it said the time and the date. And, and the kid said, made in China. The teacher turned it over. What did it say? Made in China. So she gives him the watch. If the teacher was a good, all-knowing, all-powerful teacher, would that have happened? No, I, I, that was my watch. I got it on Saturday. My parents, because I was in the, in the box, in the Happy Meal box. It was my watch. Justice is a good thing. In and of itself, justice is good. The, I was the rightful owner of the watch. That was my watch that the kid stole, and, and he has it. I, I forget his name, but I don't know where that kid is. If he, still, he may have sold the watch on eBay and probably made like $300 because it's probably worth something. Just kids these days. And then later on that day, just to, they, like, he was like, oh, it's my watch. And I was like, dude, it's mine. And he's like, mine, found it. Or whatever. He's like, gave, somebody gave it to me. He, he found a permanent marker and, and put it out. And he wrote his own dumb little name in a dumb little kid handwriting on the watch in permanent marker. So that when I, I was like, dude, seriously? And so he took this, it was like, it was a bad day. I mean, as a first grader, like I had, ha- I have really good parents, just parents. I up until that point, I had really good teachers, just teachers, where you could call on a teacher and say he stole my pencil, and then you get your pencil back. But that day was just a bad day, and I learned. I, even like right now, as I'm telling the story, I'm getting a little upset. I'm getting a little worked up that I that that my watch is. I I, I would be wearing it today as a sermon illustration. Uh, man, that makes me mad. And so the justice, like justice is a good thing. Justice is a really good thing. And so Jesus, this idea of, uh, of salvation, going back to the salvation, that God is love. God is a nice God. He is a loving God. But at the same time, he is a just God. And, and goodness and justice are both characteristics of our God. And so if, our, if we, as human beings, as creations of God, turn our backs on him, steal from him, destroy, kill each other, uh, do bad things, even lustful things, hurtful things, bad things, then there has to be justice. If justice is not done, then it's like, well, God, are you not there? Are you not all-powerful? Do you not care? No, God is a just God. He makes things right. Um, And so, therefore, Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price. This, there's this Old Testament idea that if you, if you made a mistake and a sin, then you were to bring an animal to the altar and an animal's life was taken for your mistakes. That blood is actually 
spilled out because of your sins, of your mistakes. And so in the same way, our God came to the earth. He was sentenced by sentenced to death by his own people and and died on the cross claiming to be God, claiming to be the sacrifice sin for the world, and he was who he said he was because of Easter morning, because of the fact that he rose from the dead. He was who he said he was. And and thinking about salvation, I think every religion on the face of this earth, every major religion, every religion that I can think of, um, that I know anything about, has some way of atoning for one's mistakes, atoning for one's bad karma, atoning for one's sins, atoning for bad decisions you've made. And, and I, I've been to, I've had the privilege of going to Tibet a few times now, and um, Tibet is really cool, and Tibetan Buddhists are pretty cool for, for, for lots of different reasons. And, and the, the Tibetan Buddhists that I met and saw when I was in Tibet are very devout. And a devout Tibetan Buddhist they believe in karma, that like if you do bad things, then you'll have bad karma. And then if you have bad karma, then, then in, in, your, in your next life, you'll be reincarnated as something lower. So if you're, say, you're living your human life, but you're, you're very bad, you do a lot of bad things, you don't do enough good things to cover those bad things, then you'll come back as something lower than a human. Let's say a slug or a ant or a cat. Bad things like that. Um, if you're good in this, in your life, in a Buddhist life, a Buddhist believes that if you're good and you do enough good deeds to cover over your bad deeds, then you'll come back as something better. You'll come back as a rich person instead of a poor person. If, if you're already rich, then you'll come back maybe as a priest. And, and then uh, if you come back as a, uh, if you, if you're a Buddhist priest and you do enough good things as a Buddhist priest, then you can uh, obtain, uh, it's, is it called nirvana or, or nothingness? Like at the, at, you'll, you'll atone for your sins, you'll cover over your bad mistakes, and in the end, you can become nothing. It's pretty sweet. But anyways, the way in which a Tibetan Buddhist works off their bad things is by doing, um, there's lots of different things. They'll, they'll give alms to the poor, they'll spend time in prayer, meditation. They will, um, one of the biggest things that I saw that they will do is a pilgrimage to the capital city of Tibet called Lhasa, and they'll go to Lhasa, and in downtown Lhasa is, the, is a temple. It's called the Jokong Temple. It's the most holy Tibetan Buddhist temple, and they will go to that temple, and, and they, the, the journey that they make to that temple is in and of itself trying to work off bad deeds and bad mistakes that they've made, trying to atone for their bad things that they've done so that they can be reincarnated as something higher. And, and so their journey from wherever they're at in Tibet, it could be miles away, it could be hundreds of miles away, they will, they will walk to Lhasa, they will make that journey as hard as possible, sometimes they will fast, and even walking miles per, per day, they will fast, they will not carry water, they will just do things to make that journey more hard. And then when they get close enough to Lhasa, close enough to, 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 the, to the temple, they will start bowing down every step of the way. Kind of like this. So let's say the temple's that way. They'll take one step, and then they'll get all the way down on their knees and lay all the way flat, like on their bellies. If I wasn't wearing my Easter suit, I would show you. But I'm wearing my Easter suit, so I can't show you. And then the, the, so they lay all the way down, then they stand all the way back up, and then they take one step. And then they do it again. They lay all the way, get down to their knees, lay all the way down in a, in a full prostration, 
stand all the way back up, hands up, take another step. And, and, and so they do that all the way to the temple. And then when they get to the temple, you know what they do? They do that some more. They, they, they either walk around the temple doing prostrations or they just stand in front of it for hours a day prostrating themselves in front of a temple to, to work off their bad deeds, to work off their mistakes, to work off the bad karma so that they can have good karma. And when I saw that with my own eyes, not just one person, not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people doing that, I, I became very sad. And, and I, I saw their, their clothes, they, they were just tattered. Just, I mean, if you're, you're, you're kneeling down, for, for how many miles every step of the way, your hands are, are become raw. Your knees, uh, the, the skin and the, the, the clothes just wear out and you have holes in, in, your, in the pants of your, your knees. And, and you look at the, some of these people and some of them are so red and, 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 and just like, uh, like sandpaper on the ground rubbing. And, and some of them have blood coming from their knees and their hands where they're laying down and getting down onto the ground every step of the way. And I don't speak Tibetan Buddhist, Bo- Tibetan, the, the language, but in my, I've, everything inside of me when I saw that and the, the bloody hands, the bloody knees of these people, everything inside of me just wanted to grab them, pick them up and say, your sins have been atoned for. You don't need to walk around this temple a hundred times a day doing prostrations every step because someone has come and, they've, they, and this image came to my head of like Jesus' blood being poured out. Jesus, the blood on Jesus' hands and his feet have been poured out for you. And that's the good news of the gospel, that, that you don't have to try to earn it, that you don't have to bleed and, and walk miles prostrating yourself but you just need to accept Jesus and that's the good news. And so get up and, and put on some clean clothes and go tell your family, tell everyone you know that, that's, that you don't have to do that, that it's been done for you, that the work has been done. And, and we know it because he rose on the third day and he is who he said he was, that he's God and he came for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And that's how salvation works. Let's just thank him. Let's pray to him. Jesus, we love you right now. God, this image of you doing the work for us is awesome. That we don't need to to go to any measure of of prostrating ourselves, of of making our life hard in order to have good karma or to, to, to overcome our bad deeds with trying to do enough good deeds to overcome the bad. That God, you took all of our sin away. You made us as white as snow. Even though our sins were were red and we were filthy. God, you cleaned us up from the inside out. You made us new. You made us holy. And all we need to do is respond to you. We say yes to you today, Jesus. God, we say that you are our God. You take away our sins. There's nothing we have to do other than just respond to you and say, yes, God, I'm in your kingdom. Take my sins away. Let let your work be done in me. And goodness and mercy and grace will come out of us because we are, are yours. God, we love you so much. We thank you for, your, for the gift of the cross, for, for the gift that, that the story did not end with the death and you being in the grave, but you rose again. God, we're so grateful. We honor you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. All right, everyone. He's risen. He's risen. 
He has risen. That's right. Well, everybody, you're dismissed. You can hang out here for a little while, go to the Easter service, or you could try to go over there now and, and find a seat if you're, if you're going to big church. But thanks for coming this morning. Peace out. <laughs>